I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco and I talk about women, data security, and periods. Then we talk about the actual structural change that has happened in the aftermath of the Me Too movement. Then, comedian and author Lane Moore joins Tian Tran and Kieran Deal in studio to talk about soulmates. What are they? Why are they? And are we all poisoned by Disney movies? And finally, the hills will die on before we get started housekeeping if you want to submit a hill you'll die on record a 30 second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com if you want to submit a question for dude you asked please send it to us at hysteria at crooked.com you can also submit questions via twitter and instagram and don't forget to check out the segment on igtv on crooked media's instagram There's a new Crooked Minis for the month of September, and it's called State of Conspiracy. It's hosted by UC Davis professor Catherine Olmsted, an expert in conspiracy theories. What a cool thing to be an expert in. The series will look at the rising popularity of government and anti-government conspiracy theories and how the Trump administration has contributed to their rise. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Definitely check that out. I want to give a shout out this week to parents who are rejoicing that your kids are back in school Congratulations to you guys for getting your kids back in school. Now let's get to the show. Hello. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Aaron. Hey, um, I have a question for you. Have you seen billboards and ads and stuff for the new Rambo movie? It's called Rambo Last Blood. No, I haven't. Do you think it's about Rambo hitting menopause? Well, let me tell you, as someone who's been hitting her old perimenopausal stride, definitely could be. I really want Rambo Last Blood to be about Rambo having his last period. I think it would be great. Well, why don't we just make that happen? Uh, sure. Let's make our own version. of. I'm sure like it'll get greenlit. Hollywood is like, we love women. Ooh, we don't love women that much. Not that's, um, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Period jokes are really lame. So, um, but let's get into the news. A period tracker used by, (laughs) this isn't funny, except periods are sort of inherently funny, but this is not funny. Um, A period tracker app used by millions of women has actually been sharing sensitive info with Facebook. Alyssa, they say if it bleeds, it leads. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I think period jokes are always funny. I, you know, I feel like I've been peer pressured by men to not make them. And I have this like backlog of them in my head. And I just, I go through life every day, just like with a bunch, just ready. Now I finally get to use them in the context of a story that is actually horrifying. Um, Alyssa, I texted you about this. What did you think when you read about um, the period app tracker that had been sharing data with Facebook? So, you know, 
shocked? No, of course not. Mm -hmm. Horrified? Really? The thing that I thought was the most disturbing about the article was when they got into the, um, and this is like a real deep, 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 like pathologically deep fear of mine. Mm -hmm. Anytime I've worked at a company, whether it was the United States government or any place else, and they give you a phone where you like, you know, you, you have your company phone. I've never used the calendar function because I don't, I've never believed that they couldn't see my shit. You know what I mean? When you put, when you write down like buy tampons, don't forget to change the cat litter, like all that (laughs) stuff. So you don't forget it. This was like my worst fear because what it says in this article is that there's a diary function on this app where you can record how you feel emotionally, how you feel physically, how you can write notes to yourself that track sort of how you're feeling at certain times of the month. So think about this for a fucking second. So say you're like, God, I had a terrible day at work today, felt so bloated and sad. And then mysteriously, you get an ad for Ben and Jerry's, the Weight Watchers app, and like, and like my doll. Like, it's just, it's so ex- emotionally exploitative. It's right. Cre- I mean, it's, it's creepy. It's so creepy. It's and really wrong. creepy. And it's creepy and wrong. I, I mean, so I was reading about this and I was horrified. I'm I'm naturally very afraid of technology. I am fully a Luddite. I only bought a PlayStation because I had to learn what a video game was for work. Um, I, I just don't, I'm not plugged into technology. I'm a late adapter. Um, but this sort of is the sum of all of my fears. Um, like, the period tracking apps like MIA Femme and Maya were two of them. And they were sending information, not just like the diary, the stuff that's kind of boring and mundane, but stuff that's like when you had sex, when is, right. you know, when, what are your cramps feeling? What like? kind of contraception? Exactly, exactly. And a lot of women who are using these apps are in countries where that is something that could be dangerous if it fell in the wrong hands. Like there are a lot of women in India who use these apps. And if you're not married and you're having sex or if you're having uh, sex, in some non-monogamous situation, uh, that can be actually socially dangerous for you. And it could be really um, humiliating at the very least, which is like so horrifying to me. I feel like anytime you type anything into a computer or put anything into your phone, you have to imagine that basically you're writing it down in a notebook and you're just leaving it in Google headquarters. Are, would you or be, the, would or you your, be comfortable or your local that? bus stop or your local right. your local bus stop and it's full of tech bros it's like or russian spies or whatever i you just never know who can get a hold of your information the thing that really sucks about this though Alyssa, is that do you remember when apple watch came out yeah. like a few years back and yeah. people were like uh where's the period tracker Oh, I do. You're right. Yeah. Well, here it is. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's like we, you know, can't win with it, can't win without it because we have the period. We finally got the period tracker on Apple Watch. And now it turns out that that information is being used against us, which is like it does seem like the prequel to Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Uh, But the thing that sucks is that this is something that a lot of women need or want or really can use like women who are trying to conceive. It's so much easier to just you know, have a phone where you keep track of everything rather than, you know, having a little notebook that you're carrying around. And people are like, why are you always writing in the note? You know, it's it's just easier to work on your phone. And it sucks that we can't trust the technology companies that we entrust our data with to actually take care of our data. I completely agree. And it like it affects 
it's like, it affects those women. And I, when I read it, I thought to myself how sad, I mean, I don't use the app because Aaron, like you, a couple weeks ago, I texted Pfeiffer and I was like, oh, I'm having the most stressful day. And he's like, did you have to get a new phone? And I was like, I did. (laughs) Um, So I am also a begrudging adapter to any sort of technology. Uh But I thought to myself that like, when I have had to use things like this in the past or some way to track, it's because I am a middle-aged woman who never had a kid, which by the way, also fucks you up as you get older. And I have to track my period because at the age of 43, it's irregular now. And I don't want to be the 45, the 43 year old woman with red spot in the back of her pants. Yeah, that's true. That is not something that anybody wants to be. Nobody wants to be that woman. Yeah. I just wish that we could, I think this is an example of why companies need to include women more in making decisions, especially when it comes to like privacy and technology. If you had women in the room uh, at numbers that they should be at, people at Facebook, people at Mayan, MAFM, would have been a little bit more sensitive to the fact that these issues could arise. And uh, instead of making this huge mistake and sharing all this information with Facebook, which fucking sucks. I guess we'll give Sheryl Sandberg the benefit of the doubt that she didn't know they were using the information this way. Yeah, there's been there have been some uh, there's been some fallout since this story has broken. People have tried to to, uh, I guess, patch the gaps here, but it's still, you know, the damage is kind of done. And uh, I just uh, the the damage has leaked all over the (laughs) the back of the pants of these. Sorry, of these apps. That's the last one. That was good, though. That was really, it was like really sort of tied it up with a bow. I did. And it was totally extemp, not pre-written at all. You just made the joke. And I was like, oh, that that could also be. Okay. Um, Let's get into another story I wanted to talk about this week. Um, Jody Cantor and Megan Tui have a book out and there's new information about uh, when they were taking down Harvey Weinstein, um, the way that that all worked and some of the architects of his downfall and the support surprising people who tried to prevent his downfall. Um, Alyssa, what did you think of uh, this new information? You know, so the new, the new information that really sort of kicked me in the gut was that people who put themselves forward as real advocates for women and crusaders for women, like Gloria Allred and her daughter, Lisa Bloom, were making mad money mm-hmm. <laughs> during this whole time by taking massive cuts of settlements uh, from from accusers that they essentially helped silence. And also, you know, Lisa Bloom especially saying uh, her direct quote, which I had to read so many times to believe, yeah, what she said when putting forward um, her sort of like bona fides to Harvey was that, quote, I feel equipped to help you against the roses of the world, referencing Rose McGowan, because I have represented so many of them. We can place an article about her becoming increasingly unglued so that when someone Googles her, that is what pops up and she is discredited. Uh, huh. Yeah. Huh. Look, I, I've, uh that's that's so gross to me. Uh, Lisa Bloom and Gloria Allred have completely hung their hats on helping women. And I get that, you know, everybody is entitled to an attorney. I have a family member who is a public defender. So he is sometimes uh, assigned to defend people that are very difficult to defend. I think everybody should have an attorney that works as hard as they can for them. Um, but I also think Lisa Bloom, of all people, to use what she knows about 
victims, survivors, and trying to use it against them in the service of an abuser is really egregious to me. And it makes me feel like I need to take a shower. And, you know, I think that, you know, Gloria Allred is someone who I have always been fascinated by, right? And I think that when you'd see whether it was around Kavanaugh or other sort of high profile cases she's been engaged in, these are women who are desperate. You know, this is a really traumatic time in their life. And I guess I have always wrongly assumed that they were really kind of like coming in you know, to the rescue mm-hmm. and to help these women. And, and, you know, I think that it's, it was definitely more, um, self aggrandizing and, and profitable for them than I personally ever could have emotionally handled thinking about. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awful. And there's probably more that we will never know about the people who tried to defend Harvey Weinstein, the people who tried to take down Harvey Weinstein, and um, how that sausage got made or unmade. Um, but I want to <laughs> I want to get into um, toast and roast. I think toast and roast this week, I want to dedicate to toasting the people who have post me Too actually taken some legislative action. Because um, Alyssa, you and I have talked about this. A lot of what happened was there was this watershed moment of Me Too and then begins the slog, right? Right. Like the work starts and, you know, it's not as, it's not as like explosive. It's not as like, okay, here's an, oh, another one, you know, another person who we've discovered this horrible history with. It Now it's like we actually have to enact systemic change, which isn't as sexy. Um, but are there any states or any like federal laws that have happened since that you're happy with, Alyssa? So for me, one of the things that I never realized was such a big issue were these fine prints and contracts we all sign that are anti-arbitration clauses mm-hmm. that basically say, if while we are employed or under contract with an organization that anything we want to arbitrate, including instances of sexual harassment, we are saying we will not, and it'll be handled within the company. And, you know, everything's covered by the NDA that you also inevitably sign. Mm -hmm. So I think in so many states, New York, California, Maryland, they have addressed that in a lot of their Um, in a lot of the legislation that they have passed. But the one thing that was also really good was uh, Congress last year passed uh, H.R. 4924, the Congressional Accountability Act of 1995 uh, Reform Act. Oh, that really slides off the tongue. (laughs) Doesn't it? It's catchy. (laughs) Yeah. And again, it goes to the like, uh, you know, years ago when we were in the White House and President Obama was like, I want to tell America that, uh, you know, we're killing these $20,000 toilets, you know, like basically like the fleecing of America through these gross government expenditures. And we were like, do you think people, if they don't know about it, really want to know about it now and that you've killed it? Like, maybe we should just let sleeping dogs lie. And so what this did was it did not let the sleeping dogs lie, which was that if you worked in Congress, it, the original act of 95 avoided dealing with fellows or interns or people who actually would need the most protection and help. And what this bill did was it eliminated the cooling off period, which was about three months from when you filed uh, your claim to actually being able to do anything about it or anybody taking action. Uh, it required lawmakers to be personally financially liable. So if your congressman uh, felt you up and you worked for him and then people decided what he did was wrong, 
back in the day, the the federal taxpayer actually paid off that person, and now the member of Congress has to, uh, you know, actually pay. pay for what they've done. And so, and it also this the new bill also uh, has protections for interns and fellows. So I think that that's I think that's good. I mean, you know, it could everything could always do more, but. In a Congress that can't do anything, they pass this. So mm-hmm. high five. Yeah, that is definitely a high five situation, especially because, like, honestly, Alyssa, I think that sexual harassment is a bipartisan problem. Uh, people have done it. You know, Democrats have done it. Republicans have done it. And so everybody can, like, agree, OK, look, it's not just my team. It's just <laughs> not it's not just their team. It's literally everybody, which is disgusting right. and sad. But, you know, at least it, it led to them getting something actually done. Um, and, yeah, you mentioned states kind of enacting changes to their laws. New York has passed some um, laws, some of which address issues that kind of are like judicial gaps in people's ability to prosecute sexual harassment. Um, there's a severe and pervasive element that is required in sexual harassment claims, which is really, really hard to prove in a lot of cases. And Mm -hmm. New York Governor Cuomo signed a law that ended that standard, which lowers the restrictions as to what constitutes harassment, which is good because it's really hard. Like if your boss just has like one like bad instance with you and it's enough to make you quit your job, there are some courts that would be like, yeah, well, not pervasive or not severe, which so it's it's really good that they finally eliminated that. Also, um, states like California um, have tried to make, uh, they've also addressed the standard for harassment that requires it to be severe and pervasive, which is great. Um, And the California bill also has employers, um, gives employers the option to add bystander intervention training to their sexual harassment training, which is super helpful. A lot of the questions we get in the hysteria inbox are like, what do I do if I see it happening? And this is something that California can now train people to do, which is great. And one thing, too, that I have noticed in a lot of the bills that are being passed, which seems so basic but is so important, is that whether you are an executive or a caretaker or, like, work at the McDonald's, your employer has to give you a copy of the sexual harassment policy in your native language. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because think of how many people through this whole period didn't even know if their companies had policies. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know if your company has a policy, how do you protect yourself and how do you redress what may have happened? So, mm-hmm. you know, even the small things, things that seem really small are still uh, important to be happening. Mm-hmm. And Alyssa, if somebody who is listening is in a state uh, that hasn't really made any changes to sexual harassment law, what would you tell them to do if they want change to happen? Uh, one, what we always tell people, they have to vote. Um, but also something that we have found that's really helpful, get members of your community who agree with you to all call your member of Congress on the same day, to all send emails, to all send letters. You know, sometimes it's unfortunately just laziness that these things don't happen. And, you know, we have seen momentum. So I do think that there's pressure on our legislators to mm-hmm. act. Yeah. I also think that it's like a winning, it's a winning cause. If a legislator is in a state that, you know, is maybe a purple state, um, addressing sexual harassment in a way that is, quote, like common sense and pragmatic and helpful is good for business owners. And it's also good for employees. So it seems like a win-win. So yes, call your congressman, um, talk to people in your community, organize and keep getting shit done. Get shit done. Get shit done. That and be sure, be careful what you put in your period app. I will. All right, cool. Thank you as always for calling in. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye. 
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it good for you, great ingredients, helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back to the part of the show where I sit down with women who are incredible and we talk about things that we find interesting. That is like the worst elevator pitch (laughs) (laughs) Here's some women I like, and we're going to talk about some stuff. Um, I want to introduce the women who are in studio with me today. First up, uh, her face is on the side of a bus now. It's bus face Bus face. Karen, bus face deal. We found it. Welcome. We found it. We've been workshopping this for about a year, but we found it. We found it. Um, Bentley Airplane was... Was in the you're going to be a plain face someday. I bet. <gasps> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bus Thank face you. to plain face. A girl can have a dream. I think we've talked on the podcast about Bentley airplanes. Yes, we did a, like five solid minutes on <laughs> Bentley airplanes. That sounds correct. And I will settle for a free ride on the metro. I mean, my God, sitting behind your face on a bus, very satisfying. I feel like I feel like it would bring a sort of inner peace that Gandhi was talking about. You sure, know? sure. Yeah, that is what Gandhi was talking. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if everyone has their face on a bus and they sit behind that face, they'll just be like, that's how we achieve world peace. Right. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, but a bus face for a bus face makes us all have giant faces. Yes. Which is really profound. Imagine your real face behind the bus face and the amount of just inner peace you'll feel. And that is how we end war. (laughs) 
up next, <laughs> actor, comedian, and uh, woman who just gave me a ghostwriter pen because she's awesome. Woo-woo! Oh, Tran. Wow. You know, come with the gifts, especially with that news that came out yesterday. Yeah, yeah. they're rebooting it. They're rebooting it. Which I don't know how I feel about it. I'm like, could it ever be as good? I don't know. No, I mean, I'm biased because yeah, my sister's part of the original, so I'm going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> but they're changing the story completely. He's not helping me solve mysteries. He's helping literary characters come out of books to finish what they need to finish in the real world. Okay. Wait, and so it's like Wishbone? It's meets, like Wishbone meets Ghostwriter. Ghost which I don't, why? I don't like Maybe that. it could just be Ghostwriter meets Ghostwriter. Yeah. That's it. Solve mysteries. Yep. The other year I was reading, I was I got curious about Wishbone, as one does. Yeah. And <laughs> I Wikipedia'd the dog who played Wishbone, and I found out that he died, and it ruined my entire Aww. day. So maybe the ghost is Wishbone's ghost who's come back. Okay, that's a nice, that's a I like that idea. crossover. Yeah. But, I really like that crossover. But we'll, we'll But I also see. want it to be real. Like, yes. I want the ghost of Wishbone to, like, actually write on the show. To manifest. And that's on me. <laughs> Should you give a short synopsis if there's a person in the audience who perhaps doesn't know what any of you are talking about? Okay. <laughs> okay, Kieran Busface. I'll tell you what this show's about. Just um, Busface. Busface. Just Busface. Thank you. <laughs> and starring uh, Busface. Busface. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There it the is. original show was about a group of kids who lived in Brooklyn who solved mysteries with the help of a ghost who could only read and write. And travel. He and travel. travel. He could travel through the internet. Read, write, travel, but no talking? No talking. He just could, reading and writing. It, the, the physics of Ghost Rider were strange. The physics of Ghost Rider were definitely strange, but like, for example... for it's example, very literal. Yeah. I mean, I really could have... Yeah. The context clues could have yeah. helped me sort this one out. Ghost Rider, yeah. Yeah. But like, if the, if the criminal was running away from Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider couldn't see what they looked like or who they were, but could read like... The, dis- the the brand of shoe that they right. were wearing. And then a piece of paper. The a piece of paper pocket. in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was imagining more of like, he's a ghost and he's a writer. So kind of like Margaret Atwood if she was a ghost. Mm, just, no, leaving, no. just leaving long treatises. No, not that kind of job. <laughs> no, and ghostwriter is like a, is this. That's, she's no, like, no, it's no, like no, a, no. what is it, a copywriting like a, symbol? It's like a mixture of like bad Wi-Fi and a period. Yes, that's okay. what it is. It's like yeah. a comet. Yeah. Was your sister in this show? Yeah, my sister was in this show. Yes, one of the first Asian Americans on television. Yes. Yeah. You know what? She's a pioneer and I don't give her enough credit. (laughs) (laughs) I think we give her a lot of credit. (laughs) You're wearing the shirt. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Finally, I want to introduce for the very first time, you've heard her voice talking about uh, Ghost Rider and other topics that we've already brought up. She is a comedian. She's written a book called How to Be Alone and she has a dog on her lap right now that is really enjoyable. Enjoying being scratched. It is Lane Moore. Hi, best Woo-hoo. intro ever. Just include the dog ref. She's currently scratching a dog. She is. I mean, you can find her. I just feel like the audience needs to understand if my voice suddenly is like Lane Moore. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Because there's a dog in here. Yeah. And there's not like an unspoken affair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just inhaling helium. I'm I'm yeah. looking at a dog. Um, Lane, how are you? How How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to I'm excited to do the show. I want to do the show for a while and it's just like getting my body from New York to LA. Yeah, we can't. Ease, which is very easy. <laughs> but it's, it, I mean, it's just it just takes long. so long. It just it takes, takes a so whole long. thing and it's like a whole day of travel. It's Perhaps kind of you crazy. should ride a bus there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <true. laughs> Perhaps my bus. <laughs> Perhaps I can organize bus. a range of bus for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so I want to get into the topic of today and it might seem a little incongruous, Lane, with your body of work, but I think that it actually 
actually fits in perfectly. Um, oh, it is. Lane wrote How to Be Alone, and she um, has talked a lot about the experience of going through life uh, as a solitary person from being a solitary child and finding joy in moments that you're actually not with anybody. Um, but we're going to talk about soulmates today yeah. and how that idea shapes the way that we live our lives and the goals that we set for ourselves. And um, I just want to start with you, Lane, when you hear about a soulmate, given your sure. life experience, what yeah. do you think about? A lot. So it's funny because it's like, it does sound incongruous, but it also deeply is because I do talk a lot about um, the idea of soulmates. And I think that soulmates can be one of the things that make us feel more lonely because if you don't have one, you feel like you're missing this huge thing and you feel like there's something wrong with you. And the idea of dying alone has been like specifically marketed to women, like very hardcore. Like some, I don't know. I feel like men aren't, don't feel that way. Um, I latched on to the idea of soulmates really hardcore as a kid. Um, I have a theory that if you grow up and you didn't have like a really great family and you didn't have a really great network of friends, then like the last vestige, like the last piece of hope you have is like, well, I'm going to have a soulmate and that's going to change everything. And he's going to like take care of he or she, whatever, because I date everybody, but like <laughs> um, everyone and no one, but um, like they're going to change everything. And I think we really sell that idea. So I don't know. Now I don't look at it in the same way. I think the longer you date and modern dating isn't conducive to that anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just not like most people like you go on Tinder and it's like people aren't necessarily like looking for soulmates. It's like most people are, will laugh at you if you if you're looking for a soulmate. Right. I mean, if by soul, you mean like our genitals should touch. Yeah. Like maybe once. And yeah. That's it. I'm looking for a short term genital mate. I mean, that's true. Uh, Kieran, do you think that a soulmate when you think about it, hmm. do you think about it as something that must be romantic or do you think that people can be platonically soulmates? Well, in our research packet for this show, which I studied copiously, Me too. Um, I did look. There was a boy with a goose, <laughs> and <laughs> he was having a very nice time. Perhaps it was a duck, it's but a it, duck. Was, it was a duck. Okay. Well, uh, I didn't study as hard as I thought, <laughs> but but he was having a very nice time with that duck. And because they were together all the time, people were like soulmates, and I was like. That's very dumb. Uh, <laughs> that's very dumb. Just because you spend a lot of time with someone, it doesn't make you a soulmate. And that can be anyone. I mean, you have a dog on your lap. You're doing yeah. fine. Yeah. You know? Well, that's the thing for me. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that because exactly. I feel like um, a big part of what I write about and how to be alone is that, like you can find connection anywhere. Like, I don't like the idea of resting it on like, well, you have to have the perfect family or you're screwed. Or like, you have to have the perfect friend group or you're screwed. Or you have to have the perfect romantic relationship. Like, I have wonderful friends. I have like great stranger interactions. Like, I love my dog. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think you have to have it the way everyone's supposed to have it because almost no one has it the way you're supposed to have it. Do you feel a little bit like the rich get richer, though? Like if you have. Oh, absolutely. They do. Yes, absolutely. So because when you had a great family, it's so much easier. I love that you knew married. exactly what I knew where exactly I was going. what you were I was like, saying. You know, it's yeah. like with money, but with people. <laughs> because <laughs> I talk, I talk about that in the book. Where like friends of mine, I'll be like, "Oh my god, I'm getting married, and I just can't believe it." I'm like, "You had an incredible family. I absolutely can believe it. I saw this coming. Like, I'm not shocked. Like, why were you shocked? You had all the templates. Like, yeah, right. I mean, you know? social it's a huge thing. Social expectations clearly. I mean, family history and social expectations kind of feed the notion of soulmates. Uh, Tian, how did 
the social expectations of soulmates affect you, if at all? And when you were growing up, did you like believe in soulmates? Yeah. And do you believe now? I mean, as a kid, I really bought into the whole like prince princess narrative and was like waiting for the one, really, truly waiting for the one. Because I think the only conversation that I had with my parents or my mom about love, which I've talked about before, is that like we were watching TV and my mom looked over to me and was like, I've only known your father. And then just like continued watching TV. <laughs> That's tight. And yes. I was like, let Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So we're all looking for the one and that's it. And um, <laughs> you do call your mother Lady Tran, right? I do call her Lady Tran. Yes, Lady Tran so. and Lord Tran. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what's Lady, the Lady Tran? What's the equivalent? Because you, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Lady way, and Mr. and Lady Tran. Even the way your mom said that, you know, it was Lady very, Tran, I have only known no, your father. Yeah. Yeah. She was like a past participle tense. Oh my gosh, you're right. It was very medieval of her. Loved it. Um, <laughs> I've only known your I've father. I've only known yeah. your father. And so, did you know that as a kid? Were you like, oh, he was the only guy she knew? Or were you like, oh, sex stuff? Sex stuff. I okay, was like, you know. sex stuff. Because I was like, probably like thir- 13 or 14 okay, okay, at that okay. time. And I was like, mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for a while, I, I also really thought that I, I would like find the right guy. That and that notion of like I was attracted to women. I was like, no, if I just find the right guy, then I won't be anymore, totally. and like everything will be fine, and I'll fit into the picture of what people uh, believe their families, and 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 so yeah. that's clearly bullshit to me now. And I I I think of soulmates in terms of just like the people that I have in my life that add to it. Um, I was talking to my partner about this, and she, she was like. She goes, uh, yeah, I mean, no, we're, we're not. Don't call me your soul. We're not soulmates. There's like a million people we could all be dating. I'd be so angry no, if well, I was dating no, someone. And this I know that's this, not your situation. Yeah, yeah. I'm just for me. I'm like, oh, that would make me so nervous. <laughs> but this is very her. She's like, yeah. there's probably like a million people out there that I'd like a thousand, a hundred thousand that that we could probably <laughs> date happily. Uh, well, and she's just being realistic. There's she was like being seven real, no, yeah. people she on was the being planet. Realistic. I've heard a lot of people say yeah. this. And yeah. she was like, yeah, and like probably 20 that I would happily make a life with but I think it's more important that like we are choosing to do that together and I was like save that for the vows <laughs> <laughs> I mean you guys uh, we've all kind of talked about like what we see as like kids what we see as like depictions of soulmates and one thing that I think about a lot is I think Disney poisoned me <sighs> a little bit because um, I, us all a I yeah. bit. loved yeah. Disney movies so much. And I remember like Ariel the Little Mermaid is 16. Yep. She's straight up 16. She's what straight up a child. The she only fuck? gets a boyfriend when she stops talking. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but yes. Right. Like what the <laughs> I've fuck? been thinking Crazy. a lot about how, you know, what if like every single female villain in every single Disney movie was just like a misunderstood woman who was you know, in middle age who had been discarded by the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. No, it's Absolutely. true. I think about that all the time. The Ursula is history. the hero of that movie. Yeah. She's wonderful. She's like a badass butch woman who can sing. Like, yep. I think she's great. Cruella DeVille, harder to defend because she does kill puppies. Fair. Um, but her fashion sense is but why? really nice. But it's why? really nice. For coats. Yeah, right. Why? Yeah, why is she but killing why? puppies? Yeah, no, but true. why for coats? <laughs> it is weird. Oh, you know oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't care about why, the puppies. But no, but why did she need those coats? Because it's cold outside. Yeah. But why was it cold she's, she's so good. She's why own, was it cold? Come on, Erin. Dig car. deep. She looks what so you doing good on It's Always cold. Sunny? Come on. Why did she dig? Because somebody pushed her out of her own business that she had her textile business 
probably an ex-lover or a husband. Oh. And she was passed over for promotion, fired for standing up for herself. And she was like, you know what? It's a dog-eat-dog world. It's a dog-skin-dog world is what it it's became. A dog. Yeah. There she is. Dog there she is. Okay. Thank you. Waking up, waking <laughs> up there very she slowly. Is. <laughs> um, but the, the like concept of soulmates and like romantic love, there's a part of me that thinks about the way that it's commercialized and packaged and sold. And now that I'm an adult, I try to step back and say, like, for what? Like, what was the point of us being sold the idea of a soulmate? Lane, I wonder if you have any thoughts. Oh, I do. About I already was ready <laughs> <laughs> with a 5,000 word essay. Um, I think so much of it was to keep women complacent and needing men. Absolutely. Like, so much of it is um, to shape women into, into these people who are... You know, and it's like, I don't want to sound like it's this, it was this evil plot. I don't think it was, but that was so much of our culture for a long time was like, we want to make sure that women know they need men, because if you need men, then you'll kind of do what they want. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you're your own person and you're enough, no matter what, and that men are something that can bring something to the table or not, then you're going to be a more autonomous person. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be all of the Disney princess thing is like... Change yourself a little yeah. bit. Be a little bit less. And I be think, really impressed by me. Think I'm really shiny. <laughs> you know? thing, romantic yeah. love is such a new premise, though. The like even in Western culture, it's such a new idea. the I, The idea of soulmates or marrying for romantic love is really, yeah, only several hundred years old. Even within Europe, mm-hmm. right? Like in Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet, they were forbidden lovers because it's like they weren't appropriate for each other's families. For a long time, a marriage was, you know, between a man and a woman, and it was a, an exchange of finances. It was a way to pool resources. You you know, it was a very practical arrangement. It was to make children, to run your farm. It was, it, it, there was never this idea. Romance is a very, very new concept. I just remember, like, for me as a child, I remember thinking, I remember thinking, if soulmates are real, I read some of my work as an early child and I was like, my God, you were cynical. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you, I was like, my God, what a little sassy like, what tart. Did you, yeah, what did what'd you, you write? What a little sassy tart she was. I mean, just like how much of a personality a small child has. We don't have time to get into all of that now. Different episodes. So okay, okay. But I remember thinking, I was like, oh, if soulmates are at a very young age, if if that's really real, then you wouldn't meet, then couples would look like all different kinds of things. I was like, you would have a couple where one person was 40 and one person was like 85. You would have, you know, somebody who meets their soulmate at four mm-hmm. and you would have, you would have a lot more of a, a disparate kind of representation in age, I remember thinking, because it's like everyone wouldn't be kind of meeting the person, their soulmate at like between the age, you know, between these like very finite ages of like college until like whatever age, you know, and everyone wouldn't be getting married around 27, 28 in this like typical kind of timeline. But realistically, the way that people end up partnering is like, how are our backgrounds similar? Like, what do we have in common? Are our values the same? Do we have shared experiences? And whether that's... Is my lease up? Do you have air conditioning? Exactly. Exactly. That's <laughs> Laundry right. in unit? <laughs> that's right. That's right. All of those important things. What kind of car do you drive? Is it a hybrid? Um, that kind of thing. Um, well, I think that, that that's true. And that's also very Mary Kay Letourneau and Vili Folau. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the, the teacher who yeah. was like, well, soulmates, you can't even yeah. control them. And it's like, no, he's 14. You yeah. cannot. That's not your soulmate. But, but 
you know, in Plato's Symposium, which, you know, people really like that guy. They're like, he knows shit. The highest form of love is between an old man and a young boy. Like that's literally stated. Everyone has a wife and then everyone has a tiny boy that they love. And I'm not condoning that, but I'm just saying that different cultures and different societies have different ideas mm-hmm. of what is chill and what is love and what does it look like. And, and what I think is fascinating is how much of our perception of what love is, is, is unconsciously defined by by the society that we live in and all of, I mean, this is your work, mm-hmm. you know, um, but just the unconscious choices, but understanding that other societies had totally different paradigms of what that love looks like that is defined by the way that they lived. And is that wrong? You know, mm-hmm. my parents had an arranged marriage. Um, it's a very different, it's just a very different way to approach the same thing. And I think there's some of them that are very, very happy. And I think there's some that are, that are not. And, and do two people go into an arrangement saying like, well, we're in this, you know, and so we're going to grow to love each other. And that's the jam. Or do you say, I'm bailing, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, I think so much of it is the intention of what people bring to Mm -hmm. the table and if they're on the same page, like right. I've yeah. long said, I was like, if somebody's not a sociopath and you spend enough time around them, you're probably like, yeah, yeah, this guy. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> I, I think for me, like when if, if you do believe in soulmates and if, if you have a group of people that you do refer to as soulmates, I think so much of it has to do with like unlearning these societal standards. And like for my partner and I, I we, we are long distance. And for a lot of people, that is like a wild thing to try to like navigate and for us it's like being able to be together and also being alone but like kind of working towards what makes us both happy which is I think if you're trying to if you want a successful soulmate like relationship it's all about work. like it's everything is about work and unlearning things that made you uncomfortable or expectations and like working through that together mm-hmm. yeah when I was a kid um or not a kid but like a young adult um, my parents uh, got married when my mom was like 21 and my dad was like 24 and they're still together and they still have a very functional, good relationship. And I remember hitting young adulthood and Lane, you say that like having a, a successful like family relationship can yeah. make you more successful going into adult relationships. For me, I got to adulthood and I was like, it was sort of was, there's a, a second edge to that sword. Yeah. And the second edge to that sword is like, well, there's a certain point in my life where I'm like, well, my mom can't give me any advice. Like she's never tried to date. Like she, my dad totally, is, yeah. and it's like right. my parents have such a great relationship. They've never had my mom. My my dad's never gone through a a breakup with like somebody he's been with yeah. for years. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. I can't get advice from you guys. And yeah. like it's gotten to. But now I've kind of come around to a point where it's like I the way I understand soulmates to be is that you meet somebody who is among the pool of potential people that you could possibly grow into soulmates with. Yeah. And what's the criterion of that group? Um, just somebody, that, I think that it basically is like you're entering the highway at the same speed, if that makes sense. Like you're two cars that are driving the exact, you have the same goals, you're working toward the same thing. You both are like open with communicating. And if you're I think not- that's a really good way to say it, yeah. Yeah, like, and if I you're not it. traveling at the same speed, one of you is able to, willing to slow down or speed up. Mm-hmm. Like right. you're willing to yeah. like make your cars go exactly mm-hmm. the same speed. How important are things like attraction slash smell? Very, very. But smells I, very, smell is oh, high up huge. there. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like the longer you're with one of those people who smells good and, and fucks good and like, you know, is like has the same goals as you. Define good. Um, I'm just being a dick. Oh I'm just being a dick. <laughs> okay. Dick. She's on a, uh, she's been on a bus and now she's like she's, this. Yeah. <laughs> she's one day deal. <laughs> God damn it. Bus faces. This is, we're not. 
we're going to have to take training before we have Carrie back on. Um, but, you know, I think that you're with somebody for long enough and eventually they become the only person mm -hmm. that has been there with you for that long period of time. And so, yeah. like, mm -hmm. if for whatever reason your relationship with them ended, there is a pool out there of people that you could start over again with, but they won't be at the point that you were with with them when it ended with them, if that makes any sense. It's very mathematical, but I've thought about this a lot. And I think that, like, you know, now I look at my parents and it's like, oh, they're exactly perfect for each other. They're the one for each yeah. other. And the person I'm about to marry is like, you know, somebody that we are have we've known each other for just over a year. And it's it's kind of like, yep, we're doing this. This is mm -hmm. this is it. We're doing this. And it's not like, you know, we didn't need like 30 years to grow into it or anything like that. But it just that's how it happened for me and in my relationship. And I think that it's like once we kind of can unclench from this idea that there's one way that it looks, then it yeah. becomes less pressure. Mm -hmm. I think so. But I think you need to be shown that way, though. You know what I mean? You 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 only knew that because you saw that it looked different than what you because I hear people say that all the time where they're like, it looked different than I always thought it would look. But I think just hearing someone say like, it might not look the way you think I hate the idea of, because I think it can set women up, um, everybody, but particularly women up for something that we're already set up to do anyway, which is to potentially settle. Like it might not look the way you might not get everything you want. And I don't like the idea of that. But I think, um, when people talk about it, it's like, oh, I had this idea that it had to be this one specific thing. And I lost a little bit of my rigidity. And now I realize that love could look like this, mm -hmm. but and so I understand that. But do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think it, I think there's a little bit of a risk mm -hmm. for and I, I've just seen a lot of um, women do that where they're like, well, it might not be perfect. I might not get everything I want. And they're like kind of talking themselves down from real, like maybe realizing this actually isn't good. So do how do I mean? you find that difference between the settling and the like I and the flexibility just, or you just think it's a gut thing? I think it's a gut thing because it's it's like I hear what you're like when when Aaron, because you can't see who I'm pointing to. I, I, I see. um you know, when you're talking about it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me that sort of like, I really thought it was going to look specifically like this and it's just been perfect and it's different. I understand that. And I felt that in various uh, situations, but I think it's just the way people talk about things. You know what I mean? Where they're just like, I like, but, it, but it's interesting because I have a friend who she's getting married and she was like, I really wanted my soulmate to be funny. And he's not that funny, but now I think about it and he's kind of funny. And to me, everything she's saying is my nightmare. Like the idea yeah. that I would be with someone who I was like, he's a little, sometimes he, he's kind of, but for her, he he's everything she wants and it doesn't matter. So maybe she's not hanging her hat on this one thing and seeing it in a bigger, fuller picture as opposed to like looking at a painting real close. So I'm not really sure. But again, that that's not what I specifically want. I would lead with that. That's very important to me. If I was being like, sometimes he, he a little is like, that would be my soul dying. Mm -hmm. But for her, she's like, nope, this is my person. And I've, my priorities have realigned. So I don't know. It's interesting. That's so much pressure to put on some like one person though. Anytime I go to weddings yeah. and folks vows are like, you're my soulmate. I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, but know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be on the side of the person who's, I don't know that I'll say that on my wedding vows. I, I think it's like as more time yeah. passes, I'm like, that word's a little loaded. Um, but I do want that. I do want to feel yeah. like this is a person who, but I'm super romantic and I, I love the idea of that. I love the idea that like 
this was the person who I was always supposed to end up with. I do like, I, I don't care that it's cheesy. Like I'm, I'm very, I'm very self-aware romantic. Like mm-hmm. I know, I know all the things. I like it. No, I don't, I don't think that's cheesy. I think that about my partner. I just, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing but I'm, just, <laughs> I'm like, if I'm the one person here who's no, no, like no, less I, cool, I don't care. No, like your partner and I should get a drink. <laughs> yeah. We'd really get along. I think you would. We might be soulmates. <laughs> <laughs> she did say there were a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be one of those 20, baby. (laughs) Tan Tan at a wedding. And you know in like rom-coms when they're like, speak now or forever won't do this. And everyone looks around nervously, even though nobody at any real wedding has ever stood up and be like, I have something to say. Like, that's Tian. Tian goes to weddings and it's like... That's cra- you guys are being you crazy. Guys are crazy. crazy. <laughs> the most beautiful woman in the room. You're both women. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Which one are you talking about? Also, yeah, my me. dress is very pretty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe prettier than either bride. <laughs> I will say, anytime that's somebody rude. you can't go to a wedding, say that. No, no, no. I would, I would you never. You can think it in your mind. <laughs> but anytime someone's like, "This is one I like," can't buy. Like, I guess I like the idea of hearing it, but I can't buy whenever like someone in a movie or at a wedding is just like you're the most beautiful one I've yeah, ever seen and I'm like really though like that you've is seen a lot I of people I like, don't know especially if it happens in New York it's like no nobody yeah. is the most beautiful woman anybody's ever seen I'm like New I've York. seen a lot like yeah I'm queer I don't know I've, I don't know that I could ever say that <laughs> that is the one that gets me <laughs> right that's the yeah. one it makes me laugh because I'm just like woman in any room I'm like Maybe. Maybe. But the like that I've ever seen. I'm like, you're just like lying. I don't know. I don't like it. (laughs) One of the most. I'll take one of the most. Yeah. Yeah. Up I'm up there. Yeah. Sure. But not the the most. most. Come on, you've had a full life. (laughs) Heidi Klum is alive. (laughs) Right. Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Janelle Monet. Come on. Um so uh I wanna go back. Thank you. You really thought through this. Um sorry, let me just clear my notes. Oh, did you see (laughs) that's part of her vows. She's like, You're one of them. The other ones are, and you read your list of more beautiful women. (laughs) You are in the top ten. Yeah. Um did you see that photo of Kate Blanchett watching Janelle Monet perform? Yes. (laughs) I thought of you immediately. It's like, this is Tien's magical <laughs> moment. Oh, what happened? Um, Janelle Monet performed at the Hustlers premiere after party and Kate Blanchett was watching her and there's a photo of her looking up <laughs> at Janelle Monet performing and they're both like resplendently beautiful yeah, yeah. and stylish. And the look that Kate Blanchett is giving Janelle Monet is just pure, pure love. Yeah, so she's like, wow. She's like, yes. I'd want to be on either side of that dynamic. I know too. they're both you know, like, like high looking butch. at. It's, yeah, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. A um, lot of suits. A lot of suits. <laughs> let's pivot. Let's pivot to talking a little bit about men because we have mentioned men and uh, and we've talked about soulmates being set up to make women feel bad. But I actually think that a lot of expectations that men heap on women are projections that men have of their own fears. Um, And I do think that there are a lot of men who are lonely. And I do think that there are a lot of of men, especially like hetero men who don't really know how to exist um, or how to uh, how to live into their 30s and into their 40s without having like a a life partner. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that it's like a social problem for men to be like lonely and without uh, partnership? And, And what is something that you know, what's to blame for that? I'm looking at you, Kieran. Thank you. I have all the answers, um, <laughs> all of them. Because maybe why? a bus because full of the them. Bus- yeah. <laughs> She is. I'm awake there now. she is. There she is. There she is. The dog is like, stop pointing in this direction. Your dog is like, she's like, she's pointing. This is just such a mess. Way too excited. Well, I, the 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 probably there's a they've 
because when they talked about like like historically, I think the idea of like one man for every one woman was supposed to benefit men more than it benefited women. Right. Because it used to be like back in the day. I don't have the I should have I should have notes about this. But it was like back in the day, it was like the hottest, most, you know, uh, capable man would have multiple partners. The guest on. The Gaston, you know, the Gaston, the Gastons, the Pitts, you know, uh, Brad Pitts, yeah, Yeah. the Gaston and the the Gastons and the Pitts. They would have that works less. They would have many women, and then the Idris's Alba, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Idris's, the Idri, the the Idri, the Pitts, the Gastons. They would have many women, and then everyone else would be left with nothing, you know. And that's why we have those uh, online forums where they talk about how they we don't have anything. Um, The Mm. victims, that's right, those guys um so it seems a little bit like okay you like if you if that it was functionally built for for men to have kind of partnership it does you know it's patriarchy it was it benefits men but then um but then i wonder sometimes like so many men who don't have like strong groups like a lot of women generally and this is obviously a general statement it's like we but women are known for having groups of girlfriends, keeping those girlfriends, having intimacy or they talk too much, whatever those stereotypes are. Whereas like men, like, oh, I sit with my friends and I mm-hmm. watch football, whatever those things are. But who is the man emotionally vulnerable with? Who does yeah. the man um, have to kind of take care of his inner life? Um, and I think a lot of men, not all men, but rely on the woman to be that person for them, to be the person who opens up to them. You know, you've had an episode about emotional labor Mm -hmm. and in a relationship, how a woman can be the person who's like really doing the heavy lifting of emotional labor, maybe because that's the person that the man trusts to be the person in his life that he can be vulnerable with. But there's nobody else to share that burden. And so I wonder when somebody goes without partnership for a long time and doesn't have those supplements or doesn't have those outlets, how does that affect your psyche? How does that affect your health? I, I mean, being... Not, I don't think being alone, but being lonely, it's like one of the biggest killers. Like mm-hmm, it's yeah. a bigger killer than like heart disease and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason why I do meth. <laughs> that was such a good commercial for meth. That was uh, great. So yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, wow, she's making such intelligent, oh, yeah. salient points. And, <laughs> and meth? now she's just checked out. Brought to you she by just, meth. These yeah. points brought to you yeah. by meth. <laughs> <laughs> These points brought to you by meth. Um, I, but Lane, do you find that, that men, male loneliness is something that you encounter when you're like doing book events of or when course. you're talking to people? Yeah, it's all, I mean, you know, I... Uh, I, I hate, definitely uh, hated the idea that, like, because I'm a woman, it was like this book is just for women is just so reductive and disgusting. Um, but it's it's an it's an epidemic for everybody. And, and the way I view um, the way, you know, the first thing I thought of when you asked that question was that I think it's a case of patriarchy hurts everybody. Mm-hmm. It just is. It's yeah. like when, you know, the, the things that are hurting women are hurting men as well. And exactly if they if they don't. Um, Men can absolutely be lonely, and I think that it is a prison of of patriarchy because mm-hmm. um, one of the biggest things that I think uh, keeps men and women from connecting is this idea that there's this vast difference between us, which I firmly believe that there is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that we're socialized, like men are socialized to clamp down on their feelings and emotions. and Like even on a very fundamental level. On a level. very fundamental yeah. level. Men and, are people too... What? Yeah. Not not because of, <laughs> not because of, but in spite of their penai. 
Yeah, but I, or not yeah. peen eye. Or, or lack, not, not all men have penises. Yeah, or, or just a lack not thereof. very popular <laughs> hashtag. Yeah. But. Or lack thereof. <laughs> yes. Right, but I think um, tweet it. Yeah. Someone tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably you, Ryan. I mean, to build on what you said, Lane, the socialization of it. It's like young boys, and I are, are like kind of brought up to think that feel like they're the kids are called like heartbreakers when they're like two, three, it's four gross. years old and it's yeah. really gross and they're like conditioned to already think that like feelings are like a thing that can be kind of flippant with. And then even as young kids, they're already like my nephew, his best friend is this little girl, but they've like stopped having, cause they've reached what, eight years old and now they right. can't like hang out and have sleepovers because why? Well, and that's because their parents, it's like yeah, a parent sexualizing a par- them or whatever. It, totally. But it's, so I wrote a chapter in How to Be Alone about when I was babysitting in New York City and I was taking care of little kids who were exactly about that age, six to eight, whatever, and watching how they were socialized and watching how like the little... I I babysat this little boy and he really loved pink and he really loved glitter and he really loved women and he thought I was the coolest and all these things and watching him not go down the pink toy aisle because that wasn't for him. And like this ingrained in the most like sensitive, beautiful, creative little boy, even at like six, seven years old, had already had seeds of this like toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. planted in him, even though he knew it wasn't who he was. So... Where I stand on this is like we're all doing each other a disservice by planting these disgusting seeds in children. And then and then that little boy is going to grow up. He's not going to be able to connect to women potentially, even though as a child he had everything. He would have had to connect to anyone of any gender, as we all do. And it's only that we're led down these like disgusting garden paths of believing that we're different and that we can't connect or being overly sexualized. It's really sad. It's really sad. Mm -hmm. I remember talking about this with a friend of mine who has a two-year-old who loves to be shouted out on this podcast. He's like, did you talk about me this time? Did you talk about me this time? And I was like, are you only listening to the episodes where you're talked about? Jamie, you're being talked about. He has a two-year-old and he was saying that like the two-year-old like is a boy and he's pretty. And I've heard other parents say this too, and I'm not a parent. So it's like uh, the, the the boy runs around and he the way he interacts with the world, he's not highly verbal. He interacts in a very, very physical way. And, you know, a girl like a friend of mine who has a girl is like the girl is like very highly verbal, very thoughtful. And these are... To an extent, like to what extent are those are those stereotypes based in truth? And in what do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like what like I that? that yeah. Yes, yeah. And I, like and you know the idea that girls like dolls or like you know a, that boy liked pink and that's totally fine. But like a lot of boys also like to like break stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? And like how much of how much of those those that those roles that we establish very early on are based on how we perceive the, you know, how we perceive children to be, uh, and then how much of like love and relationships comes, you know, like is organic and a result of that versus a construct that's top down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's like so socialized because Mm -hmm. of my nieces and nephews, like my one niece runs around like crazy and is also very physical, but that Mm -hmm. from parents and friends, I've noticed that those aren't the traits that they like continue to encourage and foster. Mm. Whereas my nephew, when he was one or two, he played dress up. He loved pink. But my sisters would like never kind of talk about that. Mm. But then all of a sudden now he's like 
picking up sticks and dressing up as Batman, and they really right. talk about that. It's what's so, encouraged. It's so what's I really encouraged. believe like, that everybody is born with kind of both. Yes. And then it's what we're telling them, like, more of this, less of this. Yes. Or, or when the parents, like, what environment? Like, so if you have a dad who's, like, very, like, rough and tumble and you want to be like your dad, then you're going to be rough and tumble, too. Or if you have a mom who's very, like, highly verbal and you spend 80% of your time with her, maybe you're also going to be highly verbal because that is, A, what you see, and B, what's being encouraged around you. Yeah. And that's kind of your argument. Yeah. yeah, because also that like whole pink blue thing is like market. It's all it was all marketing. It's all marketing. It's all, marketing. It all happened because of Hitler. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's the whole get thing. It. Get it? Okay. It was I didn't reversed. Go it used to be no. It, it used to be. Um. It used to be that blue was for girls. Yeah. And pink was for boys. And then it was flipped. There was something I don't remember the specifics, but it was something about like something happened during Hitler's reign that like. One of the colors was negative and, and they flipped. The whole world flipped. Send me that how. article. I want to yeah, read that. Because, but now it's like turned into Look like the, the. I don't like want to carry a lot of information about Hitler <laughs> in my brain yeah. at any given day. But I know this. But it's all it was all marketing. Yeah. All the blue and totally. all the blue and all the pink. And now people like see it as if in a as like a na- like there's natural like a affinity pull. for it. Yeah. I'm like, but there's I just, no gene for it. But I've just <laughs> I've just heard that argument from parents. And I think that's a very interesting counter argument. No, but I, they're also leaning in, which sure, to, their, yeah. to their credit, I get it. You want your child to have the easiest life possible. I really believe that's what it is. Is. I really don't mm. believe that people are trying to make their, but it's like, you or don't want your kid to get shit or at school. Your, yeah. Or it's your behavior. And your own too. conditioning like that you had. Conditioning, yeah. Totally. Well, I get and, then, it. and then it's and then it's society trying to herd us into these like soulmate stalls. And yep. and oh like, that doesn't, that doesn't quite <laughs> no. work for everybody. Especially if you're not straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that right. is the other thing. Yeah. Totally. Well, I want to end this conversation by talking about some examples that we can think of of people who are like soulmates who we like look up to. Or think are really cool. So like pairs of, so here's, I'll start. Um, I have like waxed philosophical about the show on this podcast a lot, but the best friends in Pen15 are soulmates and I love them so much. I want the show to have like 70 episodes so that I can just, I love that show so much. Um, But if you you haven't watched Pen15, it's like the best depiction of like middle school girl friendship Uh. I've ever seen. It's, it's excellent. Who wants to go next? Okay. I'll go because I do have one at the ready. I I try to keep a few (laughs) in my pocket like gum. Um, I really love Kathleen Hanna and Ad-Rock. That's a big one for me. Oh, wow. Because they're both so badass in their own ways. Again, like, I don't know this reference. There's been three references uh, this show. I haven't Kathleen known. Hanna of The Keeney Kill and The Tigra yeah, yeah. and Ad-Rock of The Beastie Boys. And so they met and... Um, uh, he like in like I think like the early 90s and like she was doing all this like riot girl feminism stuff and he was in like the Beastie Boys which was in like the late 80s early 90s were not feminist at all um, but then it was like they met and they just really fell in love and now like they're both super active and like really like queer feminist cool shit and like mm-hmm. they're just both really powerful incredible hot people yeah, <laughs> I also are. recently were really in love like, I recently love. saw Bikini Kill and they still fuck yeah absolutely they're so good absolutely <gasps> and like they just seem like my ideal partnership that I like to see is like two people who equally have like really powerful incredible careers and it's like they watch each other shine and like encourage each other shine that's my oh it's extremely my shit that's a it's a very upbeat way to end. Wow, I love that. Um, I would say my my parents, but also I would say my my aunt and uncle, um, because I think out of all the relationships that I had seen, theirs seemed the most equitable in terms of like 
emotional labor and and he's which is a big thing which is a really big thing and because you know coming from like a very not conservative but like a traditional Vietnamese immigrant families you see a very like specific like men do this women do this and he was Mm. the first that was doing it like helping to do everything and to me I was like oh this is such like a loving equal partnership Mm. um so yeah I would say that they are a a couple that I look up to well that's sweet um, I'm sure there's more than this, but just b- being put a little on the spot with this one, I, I think of this couple, Diane and Alex, that I know who are family friends, who are both architects in New York, who are just terrific. Um, they adopted, I think, in their 40s, and they're, you know, I've known them for, I've known them for a while, probably like a decade, and they're family friends, and they're, um, they have a really amazingly tight knit family and like people still annoy each other and everything. But there's also like, there's just such a, you, I I always think that when, when two people, especially two people who know each other really well are like, um, really have like kind of like a solid bond or love, like you can kind of feel it in a room. So beautiful. You can feel it in a room where like, I can think about, I have an aunt and uncle who like, it's like he passed away, but it was like in the house you could feel the love and then you could almost feel when it wasn't there, totally. you know? So there's something like, yeah, I think there's, but those are, those are all, those are all examples of relationships that that have been built over a long period of time and that people have spent, you can kind of see when people still are smitten with each other or have rebuilt that or, yeah. you know, kind of have a, like a kind of adore each other in a way, oh, yeah. you know? And I liked, there was a phrase in, in I think one of the documents here that it was like, this is a person who's a keeper of your history over time, you know, and like mm. these very long relationships. It's like if you've been through enough shit with somebody or somebody's seen you through so much of your life, that's a very and not that something can't be deep and meaningful if it's later in life. But I was like, yeah, if your parents meet at 21 and then you have children, you raise a group of adult humans together, you see each other through that, you have jobs like your parents did, Aaron, then it's like, that's all like, that's so much life yeah. mm-hmm. to yeah. witness, to bear witness to for another person mm-hmm. that that creates so much shared history that if you're not a sociopath, it'll probably be pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, yeah. uh, we have to take a break. Romance. Romance. Buses. When, when we come back with bus face, uh, the, the hills will die on. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. And we're back. We've reached the part of the show where we take really strong stances on things that really don't matter all that much in the grand scheme of things. It's The Hills Will Die On. Let's get started with our listener hill. Hey, Hysteria. I have both a hill and a PSA. It is, in fact, not okay to walk through airport security barefoot. It is disgusting. (laughs) Uh Do you know what's on the floor at an airport? (laughs) No, you don't. No one knows. That's why it's a terrible idea. Stop (laughs) doing it. I know a lot of people think it's okay because every time I go, I continue to see bare feet cruising through like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal because it's gross. Stop it. (laughs) We got to get the message out and we should all die on this hill. 
right. Um, I saw a dog peeing on the floor of an airport, and then the owner of the dog just keep walking. Oh, rude. Yeah. I at least Wait, usually try to. I at least usually try to clean it up because I just feel like someone could slip in it. It's yeah. just weird. Like there's only so much you could do. I can't like buff the floor if she pees, mm-hmm. but like I try to at least do something. Yeah. I, it unless was, it's a carpet in which you you literally can't do anything. But yeah. if it's the floor, you can, you have you can an stop and flag somebody down. You can do something. Yeah, you can yeah. say that. My yeah. thing with the, the PSA. What's oh, the PSA? my thing with the bare feet is like, oh, don't put don't, socks on. Don't put put socks on. Oh, that. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That. Oh, was, and also that there might be dog urine on the floor, yeah, yeah. and that you're walking a dog urine. Yeah. I get it. I'm there. But I think the thing with the <laughs> socks is like when I see people's feet at the TS, you know, and then when you're barefoot and then you walk up and it leaves like an imprint of sweat. That creeps. That grosses me out. Yeah, that's gross. That that like when you're you're going through, you see their you see their sweat, and then you Ugh. step in it barefoot. I know it's just that I agree with her on that. Airports are gross. I just think if someone wants to live their life that way and they don't have any open yeah. wounds, like do you? You know, do you? It's I gross. Just, I think you know we should we should you know make note. We're recording this on nine eleven, and I really do want to point out taking the shoes off in the airport is literally the terrorists winning. The yeah. terrorists have won. <laughs> yeah. They won. We've lost. Okay, I'm going to die on a hill this week that a lot of people have uh, died on. Um, okay, so John Bolton versus Donald Trump, Sarah Palin versus Todd Palin in a divorce. Oh, They're yeah. In a divorce. Caroline Calloway versus her ghostwriter, Natalie Beach. In some situations, it's perfectly acceptable to be on team nobody. This week, The Cut published an article by Natalie Beach, who is a ghostwriter for Caroline Calloway, who is an influencer who I learned existed when I Googled Caroline Calloway. <laughs> um, Caroline Calloway and Natalie Beach met at NYU, and they basically seem like two awful, toxic people who... Uh, were a kind of twisted soulmate. Uh, they they met each other. They glommed onto each other. And uh, Natalie helped write Caroline's original Instagram captions and blah 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 blah. There was this very 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 long article about it. If you want to read it, you can. Um, yeah, team nobody. Team nobody. Yeah. I think they're I think they're both bad. I think it's totally fine to be like, wow, you have some problems and you are the social beta of the situation and you were taking advantage of a problematic and probably evil social alpha and you both suck. <laughs> you both suck. Uh, Sarah Palin, Todd Palin, Todd Palin filed for divorce yeah. this week on Sarah Palin. I'm on team team nobody. Yeah. Team uh, nobody. They were my model soulmates. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Fucking team nobody. And mm-hmm. I and I really hope that this uh, this feud between Caroline Calloway and Natalie Beach continues for long enough for me to come up with like five more good zingers about how awful they are for <laughs> each other and how I, I think that like, you know, it's it's some it, it's some really like privileged, like victimizing garbage. And I, I truly hate it. Um, I agree with you. So, yeah, that's the hill I'll die on this week is team nobody. Okay. Who wants to go next? Tian, you look like you're ready. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The hill that I will die on. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? It's just, it's just the way you got so excited. I mean, I'm, I'm here to die on a hill. Um, <laughs> the hill that I will die on is that if we're just... <laughs> The hill that I will die on is if you're doing shared plates with a group of people, okay, and it's come down to the one last bite of each of the plates. If you just take the last bite without checking in with the rest of the table, you're intrinsically a bad person. Yeah. I think that there needs to be a little like, hey, does anybody... 
would anyone like this last piece of... And if everyone's like, no, no, have it, have it, then you can have it. <laughs> but if you just straight up are like, no, I'm going to just, I'm just going to grab it and go, <laughs> I think it's deeply rude. And I think you're a bad person. What How you, long has the plate been there? Okay. It, I think it doesn't, ma- I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, th- I still think that you need to have like a little, a, a check-in. It bothers me so much. I was so much. this the other night, and I was trying to figure out, because it was like there was a plate that sat untouched like all night, and I was mm. like, I feel like everyone's... But, okay, so sometimes on I the see other that, side... Sometimes I see that on other people's... I see that on other people's tables, and I was like, it'd probably be rude if I took that food. <laughs> Probably. But on the other side, so... Um, there, I, I had a shared plate with somebody and this piece sat there because I was trying to like be nice and I was like, right. So I was like, I was like, oh, well, you know, we'll just see. We'll, we'll, and we'll check in later if they want that last bite. But like, I definitely want it. And they just took it. And I was like, I hate that. Yes. Like, cause it was like, I thought we'd discuss it. Like, it they I thought that, that I had ignored it. And I was like, no, I was waiting for us to talk it through. No, I think, yes, I think we need to talk it through. I think there's just like base rules that you need to talk through the last bite with someone yeah. you're sharing a plate with. Cause for some, someone could have been hanging their whole life on that. <laughs> Someone could be me. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Thank this you. This reminds me, oh, Aaron, like the judge, I'll allow it. I'll allow you to die. Uh, there was that the other, I, and I think Naomi and I had one that was about shared plates and I think you should share. And she's like, I want all the food for myself. You don't know how hungry I am. It was much more passionate than this. Oh, yeah. Uh, you remember that. And then, yeah, I do I remember do. that. Yeah. And but, fireworks. You're right. I have a hard time with shared plates anyway. Like this is this is the type of dynamic I want to avoid. Yeah. What I, I don't want to do. No. What I appreciate about this hill is the nuance that you brought to that. You know, we took we took hardline general stances. Oh, and no. then you got into like, you know, you're you're in there. You're being precise mm-hmm. and incisive. That's you're, why she you're was so surgeon. excited. That's why I was excited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Kieran, what hill will you die in this week? So the last episode of Hysteria that I was on was the Idol episode where I spoke about how, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was like, ah, oh, like all the compliments I get. And, you know, it's like hard for us to take it. And then I was like, nobody gives me fucking compliments. And if they did, I would hold out a, a voicemail recorder and I would make it my ringtone. That's what I said. <laughs> and then I got all these really, really nice comments and compliments from so many hysteria listeners. And it was, it was really very lovely. And I stand by my statement. I have them all screen grabbed on my telephone. (laughs) Uh, But I was going to say, I think hysteria listeners are are really, really thoughtful and um, incisive and a a wonderful group of listeners. And I really hope that the people who tune into Sunnyside are, are, Equally excellent because they really seem like a, a very delightful and thoughtful bunch. Yeah. Hysteria listeners are like truly a cut above. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, I mean, I have to say, and very like, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, like maybe the people who enjoy me are like me. They would right. never bother you. They're like, <laughs> yeah. they're like, I enjoy this. And then that's, I will go about my day. Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly the kind of listener I would be. <laughs> <laughs> the highest compliment that Kieran can give is you're kind of like me. You're a bit like, you're a bit like me. You should all have your own buses. Bus, exactly. <laughs> you're bus face too. Yeah. <laughs> We're all bus face. We're all bus face here at hysteria <laughs> okay um lane <laughs> official official judgment okay yeah <laughs> um lane do you want to bring us home sure okay this is quite silly but that is the premise the hill i'm gonna die on is that if you have met somebody if you if you follow somebody on social media and you're like mutual followers of each other and you know somebody in any context in person and they haven't actively said something that was like racist, homophobic, sexist, 
you should never unfollow them. It's too mean. I just think it's so mean when like you know someone in person and then you unfollow them. Like it feels like a and screw you. Like it feels very like I never want to see you again. I just feel like mute them if you need to. But like I get so upset and like shaken when like someone I've been a mutual with for so long and like I've met them in person and we were always nice to each other and they unfollow me and I'm like it feels like you've come to my house to punch me in the face. <laughs> I know it's silly. Maybe I should let it go. But it's a hell I'm going to die on. Okay. I just think it's mean. Sometimes Twitter unfollows people for you. I've Twitter, heard that. Twitter unfollowed Ashley Nicole Black for me. And oh, I, wow. I, I I like refollowed her yesterday. I was like, I'm so, oh my yeah. God, I can't believe that happened. Why do they do that? I don't know. It just I've heard that happen, happened. but then I but then I like refuse to believe it. I'm like, what if? And it's just like, it will ruin my day a little bit, which I know is my issue and no one else's. But <laughs> I just, because then when I see that person, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like it's just... You're probably right. Just Most of the time, it's it probably was a mistake. Is that. But have you ever? But not trustworthy. have you ever? Have you ever done that? No, I won't. Like I just won't because <laughs> because I because I have the same I have the same feeling of just like it just seems very like again like I said unless someone is posting something openly hateful yeah. and I'm like all right screw you you've jumped off some sort of thing if I mm. see you on the street and you're like why'd you unfollow me and I'd be like you said something racist sexist homophobic super hateful. I'm I'm out. And then I and then I can stand by that. But just like I don't know, there's just something that seems so if you know them in real life, and obviously everyone has autonomy, whatever, you can do it if you want to, but I just it feels so aggressive. I've I've had the experience of like following this person that I don't really know. We like from right. high school. And then I found out that they had unfollowed me when in my mind, I was like, I've been benevolently following you <laughs> this exactly, whole fucking that's time. That's exactly what I'm and, saying. Like, how And then dare they unfollowed you? me and I'm like, no, 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 no. I broke up with you. Right. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never That's even right. wanted this. And I just was being kind. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, well, so then you yeah. get it. You get yes, it. It I just do. seems like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's not how dare you. It's how dare you. How dare yeah. you. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. That's all. You guys really seem on the same page about a lot. I know. Yeah. I'm really excited <laughs> about this. You might this. have found a soulmate. I know. Hook me up with your partner. I might have found a soulmate. And I'll just, I'll take the dog. I'll take the dog. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. <laughs> Except for me, who will no longer have my dog. Oh, right. I That's lose true. a little bit. But <laughs> I get a new friend. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Tian and Kieran, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for uh, for for weighing in on soulmates and for laughing as I'm wrapping the show up and not paying attention. <laughs> thank you to Lane Moore for stopping by on her swing through LA. And thanks to Alyssa Mastromonaco for calling in as always. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.